our scripture this morning is Acts 3, 17. Brothers and sisters, I know you acted in ignorance. So did your rulers. But this is how God fulfilled what he foretold through all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer. Change your hearts and lives. Turn back to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Then the Lord will provide a season of relief from the distress of this age, and he will send Jesus, whom he handpicked to be your Christ. Jesus must remain in heaven until the restoration of all things, about which God spoke long ago through his holy prophets. Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up from your own people a prophet like me. Listen to whatever he tells you. Whoever doesn't listen to that prophet will be totally cut off from the people. All the prophets who spoke from Samuel forward announced these days. You are the heirs of the prophets and the covenant that God made with your ancestors when he told Abraham, through your descendants all families on earth will be blessed. After God raised his servant, he sent him to you first to bless you by enabling each of you to turn from your evil ways. While Peter and John were speaking to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple guard, and the Sadducees confronted them. They were incensed that the apostles were teaching the people and announcing that the resurrection of the dead was happening because of Jesus. They seized Peter and John and put them in prison until the next day. It was already evening. Many who heard the word became believers, and their number grew to about 5,000. So we jump back in to where we left off last week, and it's mid-speech from Peter. This is kind of the spot on your Netflix screen where it shows a brief recap of what happened the week before when we were hanging uh, from the previous episode. And Peter and John had just been instruments, had just been witnesses, without having much cash or flash, they participated in the raising of a crippled man at the threshold of the temple at the beautiful gate. Now Peter had a chance to provide commentary, to address the people, to tell the, this forming crowd who was attempting to figure out just what this rupture meant and would mean what was really going on. You see, a dramatic healing doesn't just happen every day. And as far as, uh, you know, it was a, a feel-good story, it was also a little troubling because the man that they, that everyone was used to seeing, kind of in their peripheral vision in the wallpaper, they didn't pay much mind to, and they just had to walk by on the way to the real business of real worship, now they had to navigate this formerly lame man in the middle of the picture. Hard focus, whooping, hollering, praising about the goodness of God. And that all sounds good and great, 
But maybe to some people it seemed a little tacky. Maybe to some people it seemed a little extra. Maybe to some people it was a little unruly or, di or distracting. Where did this healing power come from? And just what else is susceptible to being touched by this disruptive renewal that was apparently in their midst? Luke Acts, those are kind of two chapters of the same book, even though they get separated by John. So Luke Acts, this gospel good news story, is deeply invested in telling the story and commenting in a way um, uh, that, that shows us that, that we should be in the world under the control of the Spirit. Um, that we shouldn't hack or manipulate God or the things of God. We, we had our Ephesians Bible study that we kicked off on Wednesdays. There's still time. We haven't even gotten into Ephesians. You can jump in. Um, if you get the emails, you can get in on that. But we talked about the, the formation of that community in, in Acts uh, 19 and the Ephesian riot. And, and one of the things that got pointed out is whenever they talk about magic, and they talk about magic surprisingly a lot in the New Testament and in Luke, that that is, the, the word for it is, is something like a workaround. And so that's why magic is so bad is because people are hacking what God is up to. So Luke commends in Acts and in Luke's gospel a way of relating to God that doesn't hack or manipulate or work around God, but works with God, walks with God. I love that we sang that song, Right By My Side, that we rely on God being right by our side, that we walk in this spirit of the living God, and we don't think or do just by our own power, but by this power that is with us and is in us. So Peter starts speaking into this power that is being manifested in these tensions that are so very present. And what comes out is something like jazz music. It, of course, jazz is, is skillful and it's disciplined, but it is riffing that it sometimes seems chaotic or disordered, but it has a logic of its own. So Peter is doing jazz in this, on these portico steps. This jazz is, of course, the Spirit's work through Peter. There's no such thing as free form, when, even when it seems like it's free form. Uh, Brody can probably talk way more about this. He's, he's like this, the seasoned musical theorist. But even free jazz takes thousands of hours of structure and scales to sound that free. Jazz surprises and jazz subverts. You're left on the edge of your seat, just wondering where the next improvisation is headed, and you have a little bit of a clue, and you know where it's coming from. You also know where it's ending up, and Christianity is, in some sense, a whole lot like this. The Spirit's jazz of God's rescue plan that riffs off of Israel and the prophets and centers on the theme of Christ. When the Spirit blows, be prepared for all of your expectations to be temporarily scandalized and then start to 
materialize and make sense and you start to hear the common notes and see where this thing is going. I think of later in Acts, again, a, a Peter story in Acts 10 where the sheet falls in front of Peter and all of the dietary no-nos that had marked Israel as set apart from everyone else became fair game. And a voice says to Peter, Peter, get up and kill and eat. And Peter says, surely not, Lord. <laughs> this, is, this is a good Father's Day like uh, grill se grilling section, right? Kill, eat. And Peter replies, I can't do that. I definitely can't do that. Y you know I can't do that. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. And the voice speaks to him a second time and says, don't call anything impure that God has made clean. God is making the rules and God is, is playing jazz by the Spirit. The Spirit has showed Peter at Pentecost and later that God's rescue plan might lead us to people and places and things we'd never thought we'd go. The Spirit over and over surprises us with the way God's grace plays in the world. I think of Gerard Manley Hopkins' poem, Christ Plays in 10,000 Places. And <laughs> uh, go look that up. It's, it's beautiful and wonderful and surprising. And, and, and as you walk down the street, some of the verses will just pop into mind. God's grace plays all over the world. Our call through prayer and meditating on the word and communing in Christ's body is to practice those fundamentals over and over to work on our scales so that we're ready and able to be included in the next movement. That we can hear what the Spirit is playing before it even happens and jump in on it. I love watching our musicians uh, rehearse ahead of time and, and to see where they come from and where they wind up and, and how they, uh, just with a, a little bit of time together and a little bit of time really close together, they, they start to anticipate each other and know what each other is going to do and are on the same page with each other. But this is, this is tension fraught territory. We usually assume that tension is bad, that the tautness between what we hope and what we see or what, what we've been taught or what we're learning or what we assumed and what we encounter is, is bad and needs to be eliminated. But that very stretchedness, that very tension, is what makes sound. I'm not going to touch the instruments. I, I thought about touching the instruments. That stretchedness, that tension is what makes beautiful music. You don't clip a bass string or a guitar string. You, you tune them. And then you rely on the spirit to bring about beautiful improvisations off the same scales that you've been practicing since your youth. In the same way, the American church, for all of our, our sins and all of the ways that we have failed, and especially the, the black church, has been has inadvertently launched thousands upon thousands of musical careers and, and whole genres of music that we enjoy just by singing together week in and week out and creating a culture whereby the good news is not just said but is sung. Just, just by singing, we're making the world new. So too, Peter's message is jazz from his Jewish life inside of the 
covenant God's love and desire for communion, but it's also a walking with Christ, this Christ that he learned from, that he messed up around, that he even betrayed. Peter is learning what the divine life looks like through the hard lessons of repentance and reorientation. So each of the high points of Peter's speech that Alex just read, that Noah read last week, parts of it, demonstrates this tension in this turning. If you, it, at home, if you have, have it in front of you, or here if you have the passage in front of you, you can see how even in this conversational speech that Peter gives, there is a whole lot going on. Almost every word has something going on. We might miss how important these words are if we're not careful. We also might miss what Peter is not saying or the notes that he's not playing, which are sometimes even more important than what he is. The space is also important. They, these things that he's saying seem to come out of the quote-unquote blue to some of Peter's hearers. I think of a poet, uh, Irish poet, uh, Michal O'Shiel's poem when he, he talks about jazz as a freak twist to the theme, the subtle jazz of the new familiar. It's a trip of surprises, gratuitous beyond our fathom, both binding and freeing. This love reinvades us, shifts the boundaries of our being, and I think that's what Peter's doing here. So I, d I just want to note a few of these phrases and, and, and what Peter is saying, and by contrast, what he's not saying and, and what his hearers might have been hearing and, and what we are still hearing from him. First off, Peter is proclaiming a fulfilling God, a God who fulfills. And this contrasts or combats some of the things that we walk around or wake up with every day that, that if, if we act like there is a God, lowercase g, out there, it is a God who either doesn't make promises or isn't around to see them through. And Peter says that this God has spoken through the prophets and is fulfilling these things in our midst. I think of, uh, when we think of the prophets, we don't just think of fortune tellers casting ideas about what's going to happen in the future. Well, uh, scholar Walter Brueggemann says, a prophet is someone who tries to articulate the world as though God were really active in the world. And that means, on the one hand, that a prophet has to identify those parts of the world order that are contradictory to God. But on the other hand, it means to talk about the will and purpose that God has for the world. And that will indeed come to fruition even in circumstances we can't imagine. That's what a prophet's doing. That's an enterprise of, of chastening. <laughs> That's also an enterprise of hope. I think of how this fulfillment works. And I think of when John the Baptist, who was the forerunner to Jesus, and in most art, John the Baptist is just has this gnarly finger that is pointing always to Jesus, not never to himself, always to Jesus. That's another thing that happens with prophets. But when John asks Jesus through a messenger, John's in jail and asks Jesus, whether or not Jesus is the Messiah, whether or not Jesus is the fulfillment of all these hopes and things that were to come. <laughs> and Jesus says, well, I don't know, but did you notice that the blind see and the lame walk 
and the lepers are cleansed, and the dead have th the dead have their debts canceled. Something must be going on here. This is how the fulfilling God fulfills actively in this world, calling us to repentance and to realignment, calling us to hope and expectation. Peter also talks about a suffering God. He says the Messiah who suffers versus we would assume a lowercase g God who is only glory, only victory, only perfection, only positive, only power, a front runner God. And if we're honest to ourselves, that's how we walk around witnessing most of the time or hiding from most of the time. But this suffering God means God is on the block. God is at Duke Hospital. God is next to you when you silently cry in your pillow because, quote, the Messiah would suffer because Jesus the Christ did suffer. That means proximity to suffering is proximity to God. So draw near to God when you suffer because Jesus has already drawn near to you in that suffering. That also means draw near to others in their suffering because that is precisely where God is magnetically prone to be. Peter proclaims in this jazz riff, this suffering God. Peter also talks about the forgiving and renewing God versus a, some sort of fake God or less lesser God or too small God who is content with leaving us how we are and leaving this world how it is by proclaiming this this is a God that says it doesn't have to be this way Peter talks about these times of refreshing that are coming upon us that are getting ready to come upon us and I think that Acts 3:19 times of refreshing is related to that Acts uh, 2 point uh, that Acts 2.38 that repent and turn again so your sins may be blotted out and times of refreshing may come in the presence of God. There's some sort of equivalence that, that the, the, our repentance and the gift of the Spirit kind of go together. The gift of the Spirit allows us to repent and the gift of the Spirit is, is, is on the back end of that too. Both front-loaded and back-loaded, the gift of the Spirit brings about our repentance and our alignment and our ability to experience forgiveness and participate in renewal. That, that this era has started. When Peter proclaims it, it has started in the like double-digit AD years and even in 2021, it is still going this age of refreshing that we experience, but we also look forward to because the Spirit is with us. Peter, and I'll kind of run through these because we, we, we can get slow, but, but go through this and highlight, underline, and, and expand and blow out uh, each of these phrases. Peter talks about ascending God, this dynamic God who is not like uh, quote-unquote God who circles the wagon and defends what God has. This is a good going God. A God that is not scared. A God that is not static. 
God is not afraid. God goes. Peter talks about a, a patient God. And, and in that patience is, again, uh, a root related to suffering. But uh, so often we assume that God is, is some sort of impatient God, a God who's in a hurry, a God who has everything, including time, has, needs nothing, and nothing threatens God's kingdom. What if we lived as if we were in an unshakable, unthreatened kingdom? You, you see so, so often, especially religious people, on, especially on Twitter, talk about how things are threatening the future of Christianity, civilization, faith, etc., the kingdom of the very kingdom of God. But if we really believed in the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God cannot be threatened. And that allows us to be patient in a way that is also has a, a certain urgency built in. It's not a passivity, but it is a patience. Peter talks about a speaking God. God is not silent. God does not keep secrets. God is not so opaque that we can't know God's heart. God has spoken. God reveals. God includes us in the open secret of God's love and renewal. And the, the, the main and primary and focal thing that God has ever spoken is that word made flesh and who has dwelt among us. God has spoken and God speaks. And Peter talks about the resurrecting God versus a God who is dead. There's a, a time, uh, you know, on the cover of Time magazine where, where it said God is dead. The, the, the philosopher said God is dead. God is not dead, and God is not scared of death. God is not one whom death derails because God is a resurrecting God. God works with what is, even if what is is a dead body and brings about new life. Repurposes death and even sin for, for life. I think about the Japanese art of kintsugi where you take something broken and you don't just grind it down and start over or throw it away, but you mend to make new and in, in so many ways the cracks, the the features, the, the, the bugs of brokenness become the features of this new beauty as they're highlighted with gold resin and made stronger and more beautiful. God is mending to make new. These are some of the high notes of Peter's jazz. So we continue to walk and to work in this spirit jazz and, and, and the church is the primary setting for this. Willie Jennings talks about how the church could learn much from reflecting on a jazz band. That's why I love that we have a band and not just a player, because uh, I think some of these things also carry over. He says, here is a group of people who work very hard at listening, yet give up nothing of themselves in that process, but in fact only gain a true sense of themselves in the common task of making music together producing a sound that makes a central statement that exists only through the constitutive performances of each musician. The parts are greater than the whole. He says, musicians live and play in tight quarters, which is not only a matter of the given, but also a matter of choice. They need closeness to hear. 
would that Christians could grasp this basic truth of our witness. We don't simply need each other, but we need to be close together in order to truly hear the words that we should be saying to the world and equally important to hear more clearly the voice of the world in its pain and suffering and longing. He finishes this thought by saying, jazz musicians in the midst of playing often gesture towards new possibilities, making visible the reality of hope, making audible the reality of hope. This is what witness sounds like. So friends, with Peter, let us be close together. Maybe that's ironic on a live stream right now, but, but it won't always be this way. Let us be close together so that we can listen well, so that we can join in solidarity with pain and suffering, not hypothetically, but real pain, real suffering, real blood, real bruises. Let us double down also on the scale practice that some of us grew up with, some of us had vibrantly in college. I'm talking about things like reading our Bibles and praying without ceasing. That's the scale practice that lets us improvise faithfully. Let, let's do that separately. Let's do that together so that the Spirit might play beautiful, hopeful, and healing music in and through our lives. Will you all pray with me? Lord, we give you thanks for the healing that is still going on and the ways that you break in, that you play new music that sometimes our ears aren't ready to hear. Um, tune our hearts, not just to sing your grace, but to hear your grace. Help us be close together. This season has had us so far apart so much. And Lord, um, uh, play through us. Help, us. help us not be the ones speeding up too much or slowing down too much. Help us listen that we might join in your work. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.